The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for cookies and crime. I'm your host, Karen T, and welcome back to another episode of Cookies and Crime. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about one of the most infamous female serial killers in the United States history. Now, the interesting thing about Belle Gunness is that I might be connected to her in some way. And you might be thinking, Karen, you're Asian. How are you connected somehow to an old white lady? Well, take a guess at what my future mother-in-law's last name is. Yep, it's Gunness spelled the exact same way. So this is actually a conversation I had with her a few years ago when I covered Belle Gunness on TikTok and I was talking to her about it and she told me she is not sure if she's related to Belle Gunness or not. I forgot the story, but I did text her like a few hours ago to see if she could remind me. She hasn't responded yet, so I will let you know if she does. I'm not going to pry it out of her. I'm not going to dig too deep into it like... I'm not going to go on Ancestry.com to see what her lineage is, but if they are related, this is the closest I ever want to get to a serial killer. But before we get into it, let's eat a cookie. So I actually got some cookies from the grocery store. This is a French brand called Bonnet Maman, Bonnet Maman, something like that. It says it's a tartlet, but honestly, it looks like a cookie to me, so I'm gonna consider it a cookie. It's chocolate caramel, and I've had these before. They're so freaking good. I'm not gonna even lie to you. This is my third one. Mm. The chocolate and the caramel that they use in this, crack, absolute crack. It is so freaking good. Nine out of 10, if you have any type of like cookie snack in your house, you need to have these. And now that I have my sugar fix, let's get into this episode's case. This is the case of Belle Gunness. Belle Gunness was born on November 11th, 1859 in Selbu, Norway. Her original name was Brynhild Paulsdatter Storseth. I'm absolutely butchering these names, so sorry in advance. Her upbringing was a rough one filled with poverty, tragedy, and instability. 
She was the youngest of eight children, and her parents were struggling farmers. At an early age, Belle experienced the harsh realities of living in rural Norway. Her family lived in a small, impoverished community where they faced constant hardships. Belle's father, Paul, died when she was just a young child, leaving her mother, Barrett, to raise the family on her own. This plunged the family deeper into poverty if that was possible. They were forced to work tirelessly to make ends meet. Growing up in such difficult circumstances, Belle learned to be resourceful and resilient. She had to help her family with farm work and household chores from a young age, and she developed a strong worth ethic and a sense of independence from it. Her childhood was also extremely sad because several of her siblings died in infancy. This is such an interesting time in human history for me because it was a time where people had so many kids but knew that not all of them were going to survive after five years old. So like, were they just mentally stronger or was it still absolutely devastating to them? I can't fathom being put in that position of just having a lot of kids and not having all of them survive. It just seems like not the way to live, but that's how everyone did it back then. So despite the challenges she faced in her childhood, Belle was determined to create a better life for herself. She excelled in school and showed that she was a very smart girl from a young age. At the age of 14, Belle began working for neighboring farms by milking and herding cattle to save enough money for her journey to New York City. Some of her older siblings had already moved to America for better opportunity and she wanted to follow in their footsteps. Now this next part is unverified, but it's told with her story a lot. So allegedly, when she was 18 years old, she got pregnant and attended a country dance. While there, she was attacked by a man who kicked her in her abdomen, causing her to miscarry. The man, who came from a wealthy family, was never arrested or prosecuted by the Norwegian authorities. Afterwards, people that knew Belle said that her personality drastically changed. And a short time later, the man who kicked her died of what was said to be stomach cancer. Cause karma is my boyfriend, karma is a god. Is that not the perfect example of what karma is? This man kicked her in the stomach and so he got stomach cancer. And let's say this story is true. This is the start of her villain era, like these are the origins. I don't understand how any human could ever do this to a woman who's carrying a baby, like this is one of the top, top evil things you could ever do. So now we know the origins of her villain story. A few years later, she moved to the United States in 1881 at the age of 22. When she was processed by immigration at Castle Garden, she changed her first name to Belle. She wanted a simpler name that would help her fit into America better. And then she traveled to Chicago to join her sister Nellie, who had immigrated several years earlier. In Chicago, while living with her sister and brother-in-law, Belle worked as a domestic servant, then got a job at a butcher shop cutting up animal carcasses. Is it just me or does it seem like at least 40% of serial killers had worked in a butcher shop before they went on to kill people? Like that's when they first started to become desensitized to cutting up bits of things, you know? It's either a butcher shop or working with dead bodies. And I'm not saying that people who work these jobs are all going to be like dangerous people. I'm just saying that it didn't help in the case of these people who were already kind of messed up, you know? So Belle Gunness is a young woman who just moved to the United States. And what is one of the priorities for women during this time? It's to get married. So that's exactly what she did. 
Bell married Mads Anton Sorensen, a fellow Norwegian immigrant. Sorensen was a widower with two children from his previous marriage, and he worked as a butcher. Now, I don't know if they met at the same butcher shop, but I literally just had the worst dad joke pop into my head because this, if they did meet at work, that would be a literal meet cute, right? Like M-E-A-T. Somebody get me off this mic because I'm just going to continue to embarrass myself. Anyway... So Bell married Mads in 1884 in Chicago, Illinois, shortly after immigrating to the United States from Norway. They settled down and Mads continued his trade while Bell managed their household. They would go on to have four children together, Carolyn, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. The couple also owned a candy store, which later burned to the ground. Their home also burned to the ground, but don't worry, they got insurance payouts for both instances. It seems as though tragedy was still following Belle, because later on, two of her children died as infants from acute colitis. The symptoms they had were nausea, fever, diarrhea, and lower abdominal pain and cramping, symptoms which are very similar to poisoning. And even though she lost her babies, at least she insured both of the children and collected a large insurance check after each death. You can tell that this couple was really risk-averse because Sorensen, Bell's husband, also purchased two life insurance policies on himself. On July 30th, 1900, both policies were active at the same time, as one would expire that day and the other would enter into force. That day, he should have really bought a lottery ticket because in a one-in-a-million chance, Sorensen died of a cerebral hemorrhage that day. Belle explained that he had come home with a headache and so she provided him with quinine powder for the pain. She later checked on him and he was dead. Now the first doctor to see him thought he had suffered from strychnine poisoning. I'm definitely butchering that, but he believed that he was poisoned in some way. But even then, the family doctor treated him for an enlarged heart and he concluded that the death had been caused by heart failure. An autopsy was considered unnecessary because the death was not thought suspicious. So Bell was able to collect money from both the expiring life insurance policy and the one that went into effect that day, making a total of $5,000, which is about $157,000 today. Oh, to be a scammer in the early 1900s, there are literally no rules when it comes to insurance policies at this time. I feel like even today, as people who actually get sick or get into car accidents and we have insurance, they still don't want to cover us. And it's probably people just like Bel Gunnis who have screwed us over a hundred years later. So with this insurance money, she was able to move to Laporte, Indiana, and she bought a pig farm. Now here comes Pete Gunnis, a widower who entered Belle's life after she had already experienced tragedy and controversy in her previous marriage. And I will say some of this information is a little bit murky. She may have been married another time or had previous relationships after Sorensen and before this Pete Gunnis. Belle and Pete met through a personal advertisement Belle had placed seeking a husband. Before there was Tinder and Hinge, there was the newspaper and people would put ads out there seeking wives, seeking husbands. And I have a feeling that this still went on even in the 90s. Like I feel like I saw columns of people seeking people to date. In my head, that seems like such an easy way to get murdered. 
I don't know if I could ever reply to someone who is seeking out a person in a newspaper, but during this time, it was probably the norm. P was a quiet, unassuming man who owned a nearby farm. He had been widowed and had two young daughters, Swanhild and Jenny. P, who was also of Norwegian descent, responded to Bell's ad and the two quickly formed a connection. They got married on April 1st, 1902. Now the following week after they got married, while Pete was out of the house, his infant daughter died of unknown causes in Bell's care. And as time passed, Pete's demeanor began to change. He became increasingly withdrawn and despondent, leading some to believe that Bell's manipulative influence was taking a toll on him. And then, eight months later, Pete ended up dying due to a skull injury. According to Belle, she explained that Pete was reaching for something on a high shelf and a meat grinder fell on him, smashing his skull. Suspicions were raised when it was discovered that Pete's life insurance policy had been altered shortly before his death, with Belle now being the sole beneficiary. On top of that, one of Belle's children told a classmate that her mother had hit her husband over the head with a cleaver. And even though authorities looked into this, she was never charged and nothing was ever filed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A year later, Pete's brother, Gus, took Pete's older daughter, Swanhild, to Wisconsin. She would become the only child to have ever survived while living with Bell. And Bell collected $3,000 of insurance money from Pete's death. Now, I don't understand why the life insurance company didn't catch on to this. I mean, they should know her by a first name basis at this point, you know? Even though it's the children and the husbands that are putting their names down to get life insurance, wouldn't they have to put who the mother is or who the spouse is? And the fact that her name keeps on popping up is a little suspicious. If they're always sending the check to the same house, isn't that a little suspicious? And these aren't just like nickels and quarters, like these are six-figure payouts. If it were today's money, it would be six-figure payouts. I feel like insurance companies would look into something after they have to like cough up $100. What a time to be alive for Belle Gunness. Now, even though Pete died, Belle was pregnant with their child and she gave birth to a son named Philip in May 1903. And then about two years later, she was back on the apps. She posted another marriage ad in the Chicago newspapers in 1905. The ad caught the attention of many suitors and several middle-aged men of means started responding to Bell's ads. 
Within no time, Belle was often seen going for carriage rides with strangers on Sunday afternoons. Belle always made sure to look her best. She was wearing the finest clothing and her hair was always in the trendiest style. And remember, Belle works and lives on a pig farm and so she is usually this rough and tough and looking woman but her neighbors when they see her in these carriages they don't even recognize her because she's so dolled up and they're so used to seeing this rough farm woman now one of her ads was answered by a wisconsin farmhand henry gerholt after traveling to laporte to see bell Gerholt wrote to his family saying that he liked the farm, he was in good health, and requested that they send him some potato seeds. But when they failed to hear back from him after that, his family contacted Belle. And she told them that Gerholt had gone off with horse traders to Chicago. Yet, she kept his trunk and his fur overcoat. Next was George Anderson from Tarkeo, Missouri. Belle had let him know that she was still paying off her mortgage for the pig farm and that she would need help with that. And he told her that he would pay the mortgage off if they decided to get married. But that night while he was sleeping over at her place while they were dating, still getting to know each other, he was sleeping in the guest room and he woke up in the middle of the night to see Belle standing right over him, peering into his eyes and holding a candle in her hand. He later said that the expression on her face was so sinister and murderous that he let out a loud yell and she immediately ran from the room without uttering a single word. Of course, he was so scared and uncomfortable, he thought that Belle was going to murder him. So he quickly jumped out of bed, threw on his clothes, and without even saying bye, he ran so far away, so fast from her house. He never returned to get his things, nor did he ever speak to Belle again. I think he was one of the only people that got so close to being murdered by her and then got away. So, smart man, good for him. And then there's John Moe from Minnesota, who answered Belle's ad in 1906. After they had corresponded for several months, Moe traveled to Laporte and withdrew a large amount of cash. And then no one ever saw Moe again. But a carpenter who did occasional work for Belle did see Moe's trunk in her house, along with a few dozen others. And just in case someone is unsure, a trunk is basically their luggage, their suitcase that holds everything when they travel. It is a little bit strange though that there are people working at the house and they see the strange behavior, but none of them ever say anything or report anything. I feel like these workers might be in a really tough spot where they need the money and they don't want to risk being blacklisted or not getting work, so they just don't say anything. Then in 1907, she hires a farmhand named Ray Lamphere. Then rumors started to spread that their relationship was more than just professional. It was Lamphere basically spreading his own rumors because when he drank, he boasted of sleeping with his employer, which came as a surprise to a lot of people because Belle apparently wasn't the most attractive woman. They described her as a burly woman who dressed in men's overalls while she worked. So I guess Lamphere saw a beauty in her that others couldn't and so hey to each their own. So they kind of have this on and off intimate relationship. They're never officially together. I think they are just intimate companions from time to time. So just hold on to that information because it will come back later on. 
Then, in December 1907, Andrew Helgelian, a bachelor farmer from Aberdeen, South Dakota, wrote to her and she really liked him. The two sent letters back and forth until Belle wrote him a letter that just set him off the edge and he knew he was in love with her. And I'm not gonna lie, what she wrote was pure poetry. I don't know why we stopped writing like this, but just take a listen. It reads, To my dearest friend in the world, No woman in the world is happier than I am. I know that you are now to come to me and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take one long to tell when to like a person, and you I like better than anyone in the world I know. Think how we will enjoy each other's company. You, the sweetest man in the whole world, we will be all alone with each other. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly. When I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of the dear children speaks of you, or I hear myself humming it with the words of an old love song, it is beautiful music to my ears. My heart beats in wild rapture for you, my Andrew. I love you. Come prepare to stay forever. Um, what? That was gorgeous. That was, ooh, like, I could just hear it chewing in my ears. It was beautiful. I mean, if I'm being honest, if a man had sent me this in 2024, I would probably get the ick. I would think, what the hell is this? But uh, 1907 Karen would have eaten this up. This is beautifully written. Also, if you can't tell, I am a little sick. I'm just getting over being sick for like the freaking second time this year already. Um, so I'm a little nasally. So in response to this letter, Helgelian rushes to her side in January. He can bear it no longer. He just has to be with her. He had with him a check for $2,900 that was his savings, which he had drawn from his local bank. A few days later, after Helgelian arrived, he and Belle appeared at the savings bank in Lepore and deposited the check. At this point, Belle starts to have problems with her farmhand, Lamphere. He too is deeply in love with Belle and basically does anything for her, any chore, no matter how gruesome it is. He would always get jealous of every man who came to her doorstep, but he would just endure it, because what can he do? But once he was introduced to Helgelian, he couldn't take it. He made a scene and Belle promptly fired him. And a few days later, after he was fired, Helgelian was gone. Now, even I thought Helgelian was the one, the one that she was going to keep around. But Belle appeared at the bank later after he was gone and made an additional $1,200 deposit. Now, after having to fire Lamphere and dealing with Helgelian, Belle was pissed. Now to Belle, her relationship with Lamphere was just a situationship. It was never anything real and it was never meant to get out of hand. But since it did, she had to keep things in check. So she went to the Laporte County Courthouse and declared that her former employee, Lamphere, was not in his right mind and was a menace to the public. She was able to convince local authorities to hold a sanity hearing for Lamphere, but he was pronounced sane and he was released. And I believe that Belle did all of this basically for her own safety, ironically, because a few days later she came back to the courthouse to complain to the sheriff that Lanfear had visited her farm and started arguing with her. She told authorities that he posed a threat to her family and had Lamphere arrested for trespassing. 
But despite getting arrested, Lanfear returned again and again to see her, but she always drove him away. A few weeks go by and it seems like the drama with Lanfear has subsided. But then, in the early hours of April 28, 1908, a farmhand by the name of Joe Maxson woke up to the smell of smoke. At the time, his room was on the second floor of Belle's house. He opened the hall door to a sheet of flames and screamed Belle's name and those of her children, but got no response. He slammed the door and then, in his underwear, leaped from the second-story window, barely surviving the fire that was closing in around him. Belle and her three children, Myrtle, age 11, Lucy, age 9, and Philip, age 5, died in the fire. Now, by this point, there had only been some rumors and suspicions about Belle's odd behavior. But when the news came out about the fire, people thought she had died trying to save her kids, so she was deemed a hero in newspapers. After the fire had died out, on site was County Sheriff Albert Smutzer, who had heard about Lanfear's alleged threats to her. Taking in the grisly scene, he immediately concluded that the fire was no accident, but arson and murder. So the authorities continued to look through the debris of the home and some others went to find and arrest Lanfear. When they found him, Lanfear denied having anything to do with the fire and said he was nowhere near the farm when it happened. However, a neighborhood boy had seen Lanfear running down the road from Bell's house just before the structure erupted into flames. So Lanfear was arrested and charged with murder with his cries of innocence falling on deaf ears. Now, after the fires, Laporte police authorities were contacted by Helgelian's brother, Asla. Asla knew that his brother had moved to Laporte to be with this woman, but then he disappeared and never heard from him again. Belle, even when she was alive, was of no help to Asla in trying to find his brother, and I think we can guess why. So at this point, Asla is taking it into his own hands and he wants to find his brother. So he goes to Belle's farm, even though it's burned down, to find any clues. So Asla arrives to Belle's farm along with a former hired hand that used to work for Belle, and they're looking around. And while looking around, he finds a soft depression in the ground where the pen for hogs used to be. And this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And after digging in this depression for a little bit, they found a sack in it, and in the sack contained two hands, two feet, and one head. Asla recognized this as his brother. That is just gut-wrenching to me. No one should ever have to find their loved one in this way. Those are the type of imageries that you just cannot forget, and I would not wish that on my worst enemy. So after they found this sack, the authorities just ransacked the whole place. After further inspection, they found dozens of these depressions. They found sacks on sacks containing torsos and hands, arms hacked from the shoulder down, masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly. 
they found a disgusting amount of bodies on her farm. This actually reminds me of a story that Patrick told me about this land near Portland where they were trying to build like a mall or a parking lot or something, but that land used to be a place where they processed either goats or sheep. And so they only needed a certain part of the goat and they would get rid of the rest. They would just kill the goats. And so what they did was just throw it into a pile in the ground. And even years after they stopped doing this, now that they were trying to build like their building or the parking lot, they couldn't because the ground was just jelly. All the decomposing carcasses of the goats created this jelly-like substance on the floor and it just ruined the ground. That's probably information you don't want to know, but if I have to know, you guys have to know. So after they found these bodies, they had an idea of what her MO was. The bodies had been butchered in the same manner, so the body was decapitated, the arms removed at the shoulders, and the legs severed at the knees. Their skulls also showed signs of blunt force trauma and gashes. So now all of this has come to light. Belle Gunness had been hiding a major secret from everyone around her. She was a serial man and child murderer. When a victim arrived to her home, she made him comfortable, charming him and cooking him a large dinner. She then would drug his coffee and when the man was out of it, she split his head with a meat chopper. Other times, she would wait for her suitor to go to bed and then enter the bedroom by candlelight and chloroform her sleeping victim. And Belle wasn't a petite woman. She was at least 5'9", super buff from all of her work on the farm, so she would carry the bodies to the basement, butcher them up, and then bury them in the hog pen. Her lover, Lamphere, would also help her with this. So he was in on all of this as well, which also may be why Belle went to the authorities trying to claim that he was insane just in case he would tell on her. So that first day when they inspected her land, they found five bodies, and so on and so forth, to the point where the police stopped counting the bodies. There were just so many, and they were in different bags and separated, so it was kind of hard to keep track. So even though Asla, Helgelian's brother, was able to identify his own brother, and even though there was wide news coverage on this case, and a lot of families inquired about family members who went to see Belle, not many other people were able to identify their loved ones in the remains. In November 1908, Lamphere was convicted of arson in connection with the fire at Belle's house. Lamphere later confessed that Belle had placed advertisements seeking male companionship only to murder and rob the men who responded and subsequently visited her on the farm. So Lamphere was really the one to lay all of this out. But not only did Lamphere confess that he did set the house on fire, he had a reason for it, and it wasn't just jealousy. He stated that Belle asked him to burn down the farmhouse with her children inside. He also said that the body of the woman inside the house that was found burned and headless, the head was gone, was not actually Belle's body. It was the body of a murder victim, chosen and planted to mislead investigators. According to Lamphere, Belle knew that Helgelian's brother, Asla, was going to come by and check the property. This prompted her to fake her own death and flee. If this is true, Belle is such a fighter, she is not going down without a fight. 
And the crazy thing is, even though this sounds like a conspiracy theory, it could possibly be true. From the start of the investigation, there were questions as to whether the headless corpse that they found was actually of Belle Gunness. The woman found in the fire was approximately 5'3 and weighed about 125 pounds. Belle Gunness herself was at least 5'7 and around 200 pounds. Even a few of her neighbors and friends who viewed her corpse after the fire said it wasn't Belle. But the strange thing to me is, if she were to have faked her own death, why didn't she find someone who was closer to her size? Maybe a 5'3 woman was easier to attack, but at the same time, she was able to attack these men no problem. It's really, really weird. A journalist by the name of Edward Beckley was given a secret assignment to acquire access to a confession, a church confession, of Lamphere's and publish it. And the thing is, what he found was completely different than what Lanfear had told police. So apparently Lanfear had given a confession to a reverend. He provided this oral confession that this reverend transcribed and had Lanfear sign. And the reverend kept this confession sealed in a personal safe. Beckley tried to convince the reverend and his wife to give him the confession, which they both denied him access to it. But then they realized that this confession can really help out the families who are still looking for these missing men, so they decided to give him the confession. So in this confession, Lamphere admitted to killing Belle and her children with an axe. He sprinkled their bodies with kerosene and set fire to them and the house. He gave additional details of how he murdered them and told his part in the former murders of the other men who came onto the property. His task was usually that of burying the bodies in the garden. So what they really got out of this was that Belle was not alive somewhere hiding. And what really cemented this case was the help of a local dentist. He told investigators that he could make an identification of who the body really belonged to if any dental work could be found in the fire. The investigators began to sift through the debris and a piece of bridge work was found. The dentist identified it as work done for Belle Gunness. So as a result, the coroner, Charles Mack, officially concluded that the adult female body discovered in the ruins was Belle Gunness. So on November 26, 1908, Lamphere was sentenced to 2 to 21 years in the state prison in Michigan City, Indiana. Honestly, I don't get these sentences sometimes because 2 years is so different from 21 years. How does it vary so much? It didn't really matter in his case though because he ended up dying of tuberculosis on December 30th, 1909 while in prison. But before his death, Lemphere gave another confession. This part is a little bit confusing because there's just like so much information that's different from source to source. So I'm not exactly quite sure where everything fits, but I wanna make sure I give you guys all of the details so you can decipher it yourself. In this confession, Lamphere says that Belle had lured a woman in from Chicago on the pretense of hiring her as a housekeeper. And she did this only a few days before she finally decided to make her permanent escape from the port. So Belle drugged the woman and bashed in her head. Once she was dead, she decapitated the body, tied weights to the head, and disposed of it in a swamp. She then dragged the corpse to the basement, dressed the corpse in her own clothing, removed her own false teeth from her mouth, and then placed them beside the headless corpse to ensure it would be identified as her. 
Again, if this is all true, she is a smart ass woman. I don't think you could get away with doing that these days, but for her day, she knew what she was doing. According to Lamphere, she also chloroformed her own children, smothered them to death, and then set everything ablaze. Lamphere was to wait for her at a designated place on the road after the fire was set, but she never showed up. Instead, she cut across open fields and disappeared into the woods. Doesn't that just sound fake? That just sounds like the closing scene of a movie. So we have two stories here. One where Lamphere did set the house on fire with Belle and her children in it out of jealousy, and another where Belle didn't want to get caught, and so she told Lamphere to set the house on fire, faked her own death, and is living somewhere else. And that's why this case has never really been solved. I don't even know what I believe because I feel like she could get away with this, but at the same time, I feel like when there is conflicting information like this, when there are stories that seem like there's a conspiracy, I feel like it's always what is the most straightforward answer. She probably did die in the fire, but we will never really know. So Belle Gunness was pronounced dead even though the doctor who performed the post-mortem testified that the headless body was 5 inches shorter and about 50 pounds lighter than Belle. No explanation was ever provided for what happened to the body's head in the fire either. Like her skull was just missing but the rest of her bones were there. That is pretty suspicious. But I think according to the authorities, they truly believe that Belle did die in this fire. Even after her death was pronounced, people still reported seeing her around the Chicago area. In hopes of really closing this case, in 2008, DNA tests were performed on the headless corpse in an attempt to compare the DNA in the corpse against a sample from a letter Belle had sent to one of her victims. But due to its age, the sample was not able to be properly tested. I swear, Belle Gunness is doing some work on the other side to make sure that even till this day, with all of the technology that we have, we will never find out if it was actually her. Also, after Belle's crimes came to light, her farm became a tourist attraction. Surprise, surprise, that's what they used to do back in the day. And I want you to be honest with me. If you lived back in the day during this time, would you go to that tourist attraction? I'll be honest, I think I would go. I just have that morbid curiosity to me. And so if you feel the same way, this is a safe space. Even if you don't, this is a safe space. And at the end of the day, I am a weirdo. And you know what? I am finally at the point in my life where I can admit that I'm a freaking weirdo and I think that's okay. So these crimes are a part of American history at this point, and so there is a permanent exhibit in the Laporte County Historical Society Museum for Belle Gunness. And in the end, I believe authorities were able to find 14 bodies on her property, but it's speculated that there could be as many as 40 victims. I mean, she had a pig farm, and having a pig farm when you're a murderer is also very smart because pigs eat anything and everything. If you accidentally trip in a pig pen, you're done for. You are tonight's meal. I don't even think they care if you're alive or not. They're gonna just start nibbling at you. 
So that is the case of Belle Gunness. I still have not heard back from my future mother-in-law. I may have scared her away. I also love to torture my fiance with this name because Gunness is his middle name. And I would always just mispronounce it and say Guinness because I think he's part Irish too. And he would just be like, no, it's Gunness. I'm like, yeah, that's what I said, Guinness. I, I just love teasing him that way. Look, I'm the youngest sibling. I never got to torment a little sibling, so now I get to torment my fiance. It's great. And with that, let's get into some cookies and crime trivia. So for the cookie trivia, I had a Bone Maman cookie, which now that I'm looking them up online, they make a famous jam that I see at all grocery stores. I had no idea it was the same brand. It's that brand that looks like it was packaged at home. It has that red and white gingham lid with like a very simple black and white uh, label on it. If you look it up, I think you'll know what I mean. So they also make jams and other things. So this is a true or false question and it's gonna sound crazy. Is Bone Maman the anti-Nazi jam? True or false? I'll give you five seconds. So the answer is maybe true, maybe true. So I found this article that is sharing this story about a law professor running into an elderly woman at the grocery store. The elderly woman was struggling to get her favorite jam from the high shelf, and so this professor asks if she needs help. The professor helps her out and asks her why is it her favorite jam. And the elderly woman says that she's a Holocaust survivor, and that during the war, the family that owns the company hid her family in Paris. The family that owns this company are famously secretive, so they're not engaging with anybody. They are not confirming it or denying it. So that's why I'm saying it can be true, but what a heartwarming story if that is the case. There is more information that leads us to believe that this is a true story, but I'm not gonna get that into it. If you would like to look it up, you could look up Bone Maman, the anti-Nazi jam. The more you know. Now on to the crime trivia, let's talk about the difference between male and female serial killers. I think this is pretty easy and you're gonna get it, so let's do it anyway. The motive for male serial killers is often sex. So what is the typical motive for a female serial killer? I'm gonna keep it open-ended because I feel like it's gonna make it harder, but I will give you five seconds. The answer is money. Women are more likely to kill for financial gain, usually targeting someone familiar to them. Women are also usually clinical with their method of murder, so they aim to make the death look as natural as possible, killing by poisoning or asphyxiation. In this case, Belle wasn't that light-handed, but she did just make it seem like they disappeared. But that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and follow so you can be one of the first people to listen to an episode when it comes out. The next episode is going to be a listener stories episode. So if you have a story, whether it's true crime related, paranormal, aliens, weird, creepy, whatever, please send it in. I would love to hear it. You can share it with me on my website at cookies-and-crime.com. You can also check out the merch on there. Make sure to follow me on socials and I will talk to you guys next time. Stay safe out there. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.